Hey, listener, thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Genre Cast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, and all the other social media usual suspects. We got a Black Hawk down, we got a Black Hawk down, 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 down. Good Trash Genre Cast. So, dead? That's fine. How about alive? Hmm? You want to know? Look at these scars. Can you spell it? D J A N G O. The D is Okay, I get it. Who gave you these? Who taught you about these? Learned it from you. Okay. I learned it from watching you! If it bleeds, we can kill it. It's your last chance to walk away. Are you kidding? It's five against one. It's two against one. How do you figure? Once I take out the leader, which is you? I'll have to contend with one or two enthusiastic wingmen. Last two guys, I always win. Well, you, uh, you've done this before? It's getting late. Remember, you wanted this. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Honor Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films you will never discuss in a film studies course. We are continuing our monthly marathon, You Don't Know Jack. We did Jack Reacher last time. This time, it is New Jack City, which is a uh, documentary piece about buying uh, parts for changing a spare tire. And uh, we'll be talking more about that here in just a little bit. But before we get into that, we need to introduce the disembodied voices surrounding the table. Across the way, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I want to shoot you so bad my dick is hard. Oh my god. <laughs> I don't know how. And I'm... I will be doing an iced tea impression for the duration of this episode. That's a really good impression. I couldn't manage that. For once, yeah. That's uh. the only <laughs> 136 episodes and probably two dozen impressions. That is the only one I'm any good at. I, yeah. Well, there's Arnold. Everyone's good at Arnold. Yarg. Alrighty, across the table, ma'am, if you would. My name's Alexander Bohannon, and Nino's got this place hooked up like Mission Impossible. <laughs> Outstanding. I thought it was relevant considering last week's show. <laughs> we did talk about Mission Impossible a lot. That is that is good stuff right there. I, I laughed at that line. Me too. Just because of last week. The card. <laughs> I will make mention that Mr. Arthur Gordon is serving in his production capacities today, and we're glad to have him here. My name is Dustin Sells, and it's not personal. It's business. Mm. And I'm glad I'm really disappointed that none of you went with uh, sit your five dollar ass down before I make change. I, I that was a close second, but I just had to use a Mission Impossible because of last. There's week. a lot of good lines in this. There's movie. so many this... lines I can't repeat. Oh yes, most of the them. Show yes. <laughs> There's so many good lines. Yeah. So uh, there you go, dear listener. We'll be doing, taking a look at this little film and talking about it. Now we need to warn you: this is not a review show; it's an analysis show, and that means we will give spoilerific spoiler ridges, and you will find the best hydraulic jack possible by the time we get to the end of our discussion. But before that, we will have a synopsis from the Voice of the Cinema. Quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews from each of our co-hosts, and then we will get into that analysis, and then it spoilers ahoy from that point forward. So without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Voice of the Cinema. Let's hear that synopsis. A crime lord ascends to power and becomes megalomaniacal while a maverick police detective vows to stop him. Yep. Entirely accurate. Yep. Um, Well, there you go. Now you know what the movie's about. Let's talk about whether we like it or not. Alex, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you say? I feel like the most interesting parts of this movie weren't anything dealing with the main parts of this movie i was interested in the very and this will be a part of my analysis but the very first segment when we're getting the voiceovers about you know this setting the scene the institutionalized um, inequalities and all the unemployment the cracked out babies all this stuff and then and then it just goes into like an hour plus of kind of almost mindless 
um, terrible kind of exploitative violence. And then we get that ending court scene, which is most of what I'm going to talk about in my analysis, which I feel like really brought it home. Um, in my personal opinion, I probably will never watch this movie again um, because I get the point of it. Um, I don't know if I particularly like the fact that it, it tries to say something that is grossly undercut by the fact that it there is a lot of what I feel like empty violence on screen. Lots and lots of empty violence. Um, and just, I mean, I, I can't remember the, the last time I've seen so many children witness um, their parents and loved ones die in front of them. Um, whole whole lot of Batmans in uh, New Jack yeah. City 2, colon, this time it's personal. Yes. Um, and the fact that there was like a Red Wedding sequence, um, a la Game of Thrones in this in this film, um, so anyway, I, I don't know, like, it feels like using a lot of that just to titillate and shock, um, kind of undercuts the themes I think the movie's going for, at least that's the themes I'm going to talk about, but, um, yeah, it's just kind of, for that reason alone, it kind of makes me feel a little gross for watching it, um, so it's, it's definitely not going to be on my shelf, not in my Netflix queue, that it's it's not there you can't find it but um yeah that's kind of how i feel is just like you can hear the tone of my voice right now and that and that's kind of how i feel just like mm, yeah kind of nauseated i guess thank you very much miss alexander bohan and mr dalton stewart what say you in terms of thumbs up thumbs down review this is a silly ass movie <laughs> it is actually um, and in 1991 um i, I definitely think there was uh, that was a time where it was probably important to have uh, a conversation about the war on drugs, um, particularly about the crack cocaine epidemic that had been taking place throughout the late 80s and early 90s in this country. Um, and this film tries to have it both ways, though. And I think that's a real problem. Uh, it, it wants to be a serious movie uh, about the societal factors that you know have caused the war on drugs and... Um, you know, these drug epidemics to sweep the nation. And that's why they said it in 1986, at the start of the crack wars. The, the, I mean, there's a very specific choice to set this movie, you know, about five years prior to present day. Um, the problem is you've also got these scenes of Judd Nelson and Ice-T storming the compound of Wesley Snipes with their guns with laser sights on them. Um, I mean, it's a thoroughly silly movie. Uh, Dustin and I were talking before we started recording. Um, last year, when we did our... Um, our episode over The Wire, the first three episodes of The Wire, uh, Dustin, you know, his impression of those first three episodes was that uh, it was essentially a um, an, a really long episode of Law and Order with more swears and more violence. Mm, um, I feel like New Jack City is an after-school special uh, or like something some D.A.R.E. representative would come to your elementary school and show you, but with, you know, more sex and Wesley Snipes and, and violence. And Hashtag F-words. best elementary school ever. Yes, Absolutely. And, but that's the thing. Like, it, it it teeters between, you know, melodrama and complete ass-crazy silliness. Uh, I'll tell you this much. I want to be Judd Nelson's character when I grow up. <laughs> uh, what is it they call him? A uh, speed freak motorcycle junkie? Yeah, something, something like I that. Can't, or some silly nonsense like that. He wears fingerless gloves. Um, and says things about how he used to be a drug addict about halfway through the movie, and then it's never brought up again. Um, it's it's a damn silly movie, and Ice-T and Judd Nelson do not help that at all. I mean, this was like Ice-T's first real acting role. Um, so, I mean, you can tell, and you can tell that. Um, I will say this. I was a really big fan of Wesley Snipes' performance. I mean, you can. this was a star-making turn for him, and you can see why. Uh, and ditto for Chris Rock. I think Chris – I've heard – uh, some people say that Chris Rock overdoes it here, and I I feel like it was really spot on. Um, I hated where his story went, uh, and this the the movie couldn't seem to make up its mind what his and Ice T's relationship was like, whether or not Ice T was friends with him or they were or he was using him. It kind of bounced back and forth about three times. I found that very odd. Um, I I was very into this movie for about the first twenty minutes. Um, by the time Chris Rock shows back up. I, I want to say around that point in the movie, I was pretty much done. I had checked out. Um, I watched the whole movie. I'm glad I did because I've been hearing about this movie for years and years and years, and I've always wanted to get around to seeing it. Um, I was just a, hoping it would be a little bit better, I guess. 
Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Mr. Dolan Stewart. What I would say is it's not very good, but I like it. And uh, it's, it's 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 pretty bad. It's it's washable. I mean, yeah. it's it's Welsh. I will say this: Mario Van Peebles uh, put together a very good looking movie. Yeah, with no budget. Yeah, he can frame a shot. I mm-hmm. don't think he edits worth anything. No, but the framing's really good. There's some really interesting uh, like uh, Dutch angle choices at one point in yes. the movie. You you at know which part points. I'm talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I looked. I mean, it looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, but cinematography was outstanding, really. But. Yeah, editing was not for Editing shit. wasn't so shiny. Um, performances overall are, are really pretty good. I really like Wesley Snipes. I really like Chris Rock. Um, I like Ice-T. I think I like what he does as well. Uh, Bender from Breakfast Club can just yeah, die. Yeah, Judd Nelson did terrible. so bad. He's just not good at all. And uh, most of the supporting cast of uh, you know major and minor thugs and whatnot, not so shiny either. Uh, but you know it's it's serviceable. It works. You know overall, it's, it's got action. It's got you know sort of a crime uh, thriller sort of structure. And I think that's I think that's the problem though, and I'll talk about that later. Um, is that it, it wants to be two or three different movies? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's definitely a confused like generic mess, right? Yeah. As far as genre is concerned. But you know overall, I had fun watching it. So you know it's 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 not the worst thing I've seen. I'm not mad I watched it. You know or anything like that. Um, but it's not a movie that I'm going to come back to. Often, but if I were to see it on TBS, you know, which would be weird because it'd be weirdly edited, and uh, so I'm not sure how that would. That actually how might, would that work? That might be. Kind I want to shoot you so bad, my fingers stiff. <laughs> it's the best, the best, the best made-for-TV edit of a movie ever. Uh, that's funny. So there you go on that, dear listener. Now you know our biases, pro and con. Uh, it's now time to get down to business. <laughs> I want to analyze this movie so bad my dick is hard. That makes me feel very uncomfortable. I guess it is business time. So it's an appropriate moment for just that. Let's move on into analysis. What say you, Mr. Dalton Stewart? So in 1971. Okay. <coughs> sorry. Sorry. Jeez. I, fe- sorry. I was probably going to murderize you if uh, you. Excuse me. That wasn't. <coughs> sorry. Um, so in 1971, um, Richard Nixon declared. Uh, drug use in America to be public enemy number one uh, and declared a war on drugs. And that kicked off the next 40 years of American drug policy. Um, Things really got bad in the 1980s um, under Ronald Reagan uh, and with the the introduction, I I guess the best word I can think of, of crack cocaine uh, into major U.S. cities. Um, now, we could talk a lot about the societal implications uh, of the drug wars in general, um, mass incarceration of young black men um, leading to a ridiculously disproportionate uh, uh, number of black men in prison compared to any other race, um, complete <laughs> devastation of major U.S. cities like New York and Chicago and Los Angeles, uh, particularly um, you know the inner city parts or black enclaves in those cities. Um, the militarization of uh, U.S. police departments, which is something that we're still dealing with today, um, a level of police violence that um, had never been seen before. Uh, and honestly, as bad as things have been lately, probably are not as bad as they were then. We just happen to have uh, cameras with us at all times now, which is something that we didn't have the luxury of back in 1988. Um, but I don't really want to talk about that. Um, what I want to talk about is how this time impacted uh, American culture, um, because what it did was something very interesting, I think. It, it led to the film New Jack City. Um, it led to uh, N.W.A. Um, and really all of gangster rap as we know it today. I, I mean, truly, uh, and Ice-T's career. And, I mean, really, the impact of the drug wars cannot be underestimated when we look at how our culture has changed from uh, 1980 uh, to 2015. Uh, because you're talking about a generation of young men uh, and young women growing up in you know areas like uh, the Bronx and Compton and Watts and growing up around an unparalleled level of violence and um, 
seeing their parents and the, their peers um, killed or taken to jail or uh, addicted uh, to some very serious uh, drugs. Um, and what came out of that was a lot of young people who ended up being artists uh, and bringing a message of what was happening in the United in inner cities um, to white America um, and basically making the rest of the United States say, you need to pay attention to what's happening here. Uh, whether it was, you know, glorification of, you know, selling drugs, I mean, with uh, a lot of stuff off of NWA's first album, Straight Outta Compton, uh, a lot of that deals with the glorification of being a young drug dealer, uh, but also deals with um, a lot of the police brutality that was happening. Uh, and then you have things like New Jack City um, and a lot of other media from from that time that was like, hey, crack is a real problem. Uh, I mean, you have these the crack is whack public service announcements and and the, the, this whole like public media campaign uh, targeted at white children, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, because uh, crack didn't ever really become a problem in the suburbs. So, uh, but that goes back into the entire mismanagement of the, of the war on drugs, which uh, I think both of my co-hosts want to talk a little bit more. But I, I just think it's important for the listener to think about how much culture has changed. I mean, between the start of the war on drugs and now, hip-hop has entered the mainstream and has become, gone from uh, an underground thing, um, you know, with with stuff like Grandmaster Flash and uh, Fab Five Freddy, who is a producer on this film um, and has a also a, a small role, um, to becoming pop music. I mean, it went from, you know, being very much something... Uh, for black people, by black people, that only black people listen to, to becoming, you know, huge business. Um, I mean, even that alone uh, is endemic of just how big of an impact war on drugs had on our culture. But then it led to things like, um, you know, the Rodney King riots. Uh, Rodney King was high on crack when he got pulled over um, and led us to have a huge conversation about race in this country uh, and police violence in this country, a conversation we're still having today. Uh, and again, I mean, you get films like Traffic and Scarface. Uh, you get television shows like The Wire. You get New Jack City. You have a huge change in the conversation we're having and in the way crime is presented on films. There are no godfathers in the war on drugs. Um, the closest thing we get is Scarface, and it's a very different movie. Um, and that does not even you know, touch the tip of the iceberg that is the crack cocaine epidemic in this country that's dealing with the cocaine trade uh, coming out of South America. But, I mean, again, I just want our listeners to think because basically if you can think of a film that touches on drugs in any way, shape, or form post-1985, it is directly responding uh, to the war on drugs in this country. Um, and I think a, a film's historical and social context is often very important in understanding it. Uh, and that's why I cut New Jack City a little slack with its kind of preachy message, uh, because 1991 was a real bad time uh, for um, black neighborhoods in this country. Um, and I, They were saying something that was important. How well they do it is... Uh, a question of debate. I would say they don't do a very good job, but they were encouraging people to have a conversation uh, about it. I think it's important to note that this is a film uh, where there is only one white person, and he's billed like ninth, and he was in The Breakfast Club. No kidding. I wow. Yeah, Chris Rock is in less of this movie than Judd Nelson. He gets billed above him. So uh, that's cool. Because again, I just want to bring that back around to you know we were talking about how you know crack cocaine was affecting black communities. I think it's important. Um, that black filmmakers and black actors made the film New Jack City, regardless of uh, how well it works as a movie. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I like that analysis. I think it will dovetail well into other words that are going to be said right away. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, why don't you begin by saying some of those words? Yeah, um, I think we're all going to have pretty similar readings. I, I think because, I don't know about you guys, but I think there's practically one umbrella reading that you can have for this film that then you can go about examining in different ways. So today I'm going to talk to you about economic inequality and institutionalized inequality. Um, if you recall the beginning of this film, as I discussed earlier, it starts with the um, voiceovers that just detail the state of, you know, the American slums, just, you know, and just America in general, the high 
the high poverty rate, high incarceration rate. Are you rate. talking uh, about that that opening that and now uh, what is it? The the lines at the opening of the film that's like voiceover. Yeah, yeah. That's from uh, the NWA song Straight Outta Compton. Wait, no, fuck the police. Crap, I can't remember. It's straight out of Compton. It is straight out of Compton. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that. So So that's just I, I know you didn't know that. That's why I went ahead and mentioned it. Well, I, that's valuable to know. Yeah. So that's relevant, obviously. Um, and then, of course, um, whenever you get to the ending court sequence with, um, I forgot who, Nino. Yeah. Nino being on trial, he says uh, this exchange that I just thought was so insightful and I think gives the key to unlocking this movie. I'm not the one who's guilty. You're the one who's guilty. The lawmakers and politicians and Colombian drug lords. And I'm, I'm summarizing a little bit here. There are no Uzis made in Harlem. This thing is bigger than Nino Brown. This is big business. This is the American way. And then, of course, the cross-examining lawyer says, I'm sure the court was enlightened by your pe- geopolitical tirade, Mr. Brown. Unfortunately, society at large is not on trial here. You are. Um, and I felt like this just really brought the message of this film home that is just talking about these institutions that are set up to make these cycles of violence and these cycles of inequality that will continue the rest of these lives. You, as I mentioned before, there are so many kids uh, that witness uh, a, a gang shooting or, you know, a drive by or just one of their family members being shot or killed or kidnapped or hurt in front of them. And this further perpetuates these cycles of inequality. And in that cross-examining sequence, he goes on to discuss, he actually like puts it towards the, the lawyer. And he said, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. You had privileges that I didn't have. Of course, you know, he's saying this in his own way. Um, you know, you have privileges that I will never experience just because where you lived and, and all this stuff. There's actually um, some very important research done about early early childhood experiences and, and the effect that they have on uh, the rest of your life. Um, I'll have to I'll have to put give you guys the link to this video because I think people would see it. Um, there is this study that examines um, a co- cohort of children that are identical to each other. I think they control facets of race and all that stuff except that one of these children lives in a different zip code than the other. One of these zip codes is a suburb, and one is, is kind of like a slum. And they, they track these children over time, and it comes to the point where, it comes to the point that the, the child that grew up in the slum with the same familial, familial structures as the child in the suburbs actually has just lower outcomes in general it's the only difference between the two of them is their zip code and the and of course your zip code affects what the schools you go to it affects the experiences that you have um it affects that that issue if you do see uh violence perpetuated against your neighbors or your family um it it really affects a lot and you know the american way as discussed by nino um in his quote geopolitical tirade is that these structures exist, but we're we're not solving them. We're not we're not fixing them. And it does it is bigger than one man, as he discussed in his um, in his piece. There, uh, there are a lot of conflicting problems and issues that c- interplay between uh, these societal tensions. Um, these so these couple sequences, I feel like, are the reasons to watch this movie to have it reminded to you that this institutionalized inequality and this economic inequality is perpetually existing and it still exists to this day. I mean, things didn't just change because it's not 1991 anymore. Um, And so I'm just going to leave you with the fact that this, this almost morality play exists to get this message out. And, you know, when showing all these facets affecting people's lives and they go into maybe a little too much detail for the themes to kind of be um, kind of coalescing because like the violence is kind of glorified and, and I have lots of issues with that. But overall, was there another way to kind of demonstrate that um, and kind of demonstrate these systems of inequality that just occur because people have lower income and are born into it. It's almost really sad predestination.
There's definitely an intractability there. Yeah, where definitely. Just, there, I mean, yeah, there just seems it's a quagmire. You just can't mm-hmm. get out. Well, thank Quicksand. you very, very much, Miss Alexander Bohan. And I also want to speak to some sociological issues as well in the film. And I think uh, what the problem that we have today, the reason why we have the problem, is because of the solutions that New Jack City suggests. Uh, specifically, that um, what they do is they make wrong steps in the right direction. The right direction being, let's do something about this crack epidemic. And the two wrong steps they make, first of those is to deal with the issue uh, specifically of the militarization of the police. And so even though they're carrying Uzis and have laser sights and they're raiding on the uh, the crazy uh, apartment building crack house and they've got explosive devices to open doors, right? Um, hyper-militarized, they've got surveillance gear, they've got you know, these sort of things. Uh, the, the video looks very much like SEAL Team 6 video that's coming off of Pookie's belt. Um, all those sort of things. And uh, that if we just give the police more firepower, then this will come to an end. Of course, it does not. It did not. And it also begins to raise an entirely new and different and perhaps uh, to some extent worse set of problems. Uh, that happens. So that that's the first point uh, you know I'd like to make about just the the, the first steps that are in the wrong, wrong direction. Uh, the other step I think is more endemic to the entirety of the film, and that is of uh, lengthy prison sentences for drug offenses. Um, we talked about mass incarceration and the improportionate numbers of African Americans who are in prison for drugs, as opposed to uh, Anglo Americans for the same uh, narcotic possessions and the same sort of charges. And what the film suggests is uh, Wesley Snipes' character, Nino, makes a deal, right? And he'll only end up serving a year, and which drives you know our mad prophet guy a little crazy, and he ends up shooting him in the courthouse, right? Uh, but but the, the, the idea is we've got to get these people, get them now, lock them up, and throw away the key. If we do that, that will clean up our streets. Of course, it has not done that, what's, and it has decimated re- the black really, community. What's really disheartening about that um, is earlier in the movie we see what the real situation, the real solution is, uh, and that's helping treat people with drug problems. Uh, Correct. And it works great for Chris Rock until they use him as a fucking albatross. Um, which is ridiculous. Yes, uh, here's a great idea. This guy who uh, is still dealing with his drug addiction, let's put him in a high-pressure situation where he's going to be around a lot of the drug he's addicted to. That sounds like a great plan. That's and that's wisdom. that was and that was my problem with the depiction of his and Ice T's relationship. Was it was just like Ice T gets pissed when he dies. That was my friend. Really? Was it Ice? Was it? You didn't really treat him like he was your friend. Um, but but anyway, that's one of the things that's so distressing is earlier in the film, right? They show, hey, you know, what would be a good idea is we help people get clean, um, and then we kind of the film sort of just forgets about that. Yeah, and yeah, and that's part of the mess that is the film. But you know, basically, this idea that this is what's going to happen, they're going to have these two, these three year sentences. The district attorney says something. We, you know, just have him off the street for just a little while. That's like a, that's a feasible solution. All of those sorts of um, ideations, and then of course that's not going to work. He's going to be so dangerous for so many people. He's going to continue his life of crime and foolishness and all these other things that he's been up to and doing. And so what we've got to do then is we've just got to kill him. And of course, I think the film is suggesting that executing someone in a courthouse is not a good idea. It seems to be opposed to that. But it also seems to be saying that that is the only recourse that is left without these hefty presence sentences. So then, flash forward, we have uh, legislation like three strikes and your outlaws, and uh, you know those sorts of things. I'm sure Dalton could tell you lots and lots of things about how that's terrible and not helpful. I could, but I'm not going to. It's it, it's it's terrible and it's not helpful. I think enough said. Uh, and and so. Again, the film shows a community reeling from a problem that it was not prepared for, and it also begins to anticipate two possible recourses that it takes that turn out to be less helpful than they would have expected. Uh, Rather, uh, we need to do more community building. Rather, we need to take care of issues like social inequality, like Alex mentioned. Rather, we need to work to rehabilitate people who are um, addicted to to various and sundry kinds of hard drugs. And by doing those sorts of things and and providing those sorts of helps, then we can begin to move forward. And again, it it does, to an extent, it criminalizes being black and from the ghetto is what it what it ends up doing, and it criminalizes to the level of terrorism, and hence the militarization that follows. 
And uh, so, I, again, I, I see this film as almost a time capsule. The reason why we're in the mess we're in right now is because they didn't really know what to do. I mean, to, to their credit, I, I don't think they knew anyone anticipated. They thought, hey, if we have heavy prison sentences, people will stop. It turns out, incorrect. No, and I, I, th- I think it's very easy, um, and I often do this. Uh, I, I think it's very easy to Monday morning quarterback um, drug policies, you know, 40 years ago. When we didn't really understand addiction, we didn't really understand, um, I mean, yes, uh, cocaine and heroin had been around since the 1700s. They'd been in use in the United States since the 1700s, um, but not to the levels they were in the early, or in the late 20th century. Um, and I don't, th- I agree, I don't think we knew what to do, because we, we actually did try um, drug decriminalization. I mean, around the same time prohibition was happening, um, people were doing a lot of cocaine. Um, and we didn't really care, honestly. People were doing a lot of laudanum, which is basically heroin. Um, and we didn't really do anything about it. Um, and then it became a real problem. And that, and that's, you know, I, I think it's very easy to poo-poo uh, the Nixon and Reagan administrations, and I do uh, frequently. Uh, I think it's very easy to poo-poo their, their take on the war on drugs. But, I mean, really, <laughs> nobody knew any better. Right. And, of course, the suggestions being made here are Mario Van Peebles' suggestions. Yes. You know, and the screenwriter as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, th- again, they're, they're guessing. that they, They'd never faced this before. Yeah. And so this film begins uh, – and, again, that's exactly what begins to happen. Early 90s, you know, hyper-militarization begins. Even then, the SWAT teams with the, with the flak jackets and that kind of stuff uh, begins right away. Before very long, we're looking at Predator films, you know, uh, like Predator 2, which is all about a militarized police force. Yeah. And, uh, and, then, and then we're looking at this, uh, this phenomenon of mass incarceration, uh, people with, you know, very, very – you know, nonviolent offenses, uh, being mm-hmm. incarcerated for drug charges, and then decimating the community by depriving them of fathers and of brothers and, you know, support system and, and whatnot because they're all locked up because this is part of this endemic that they're suffering from. Fun fact, until about 10 years ago, um, carrying, uh, I forget the exact amounts, I want to say it was 10 grams uh, of crack cocaine netted you... Um, a prison sentence that would end your life, essentially, like 30 to years to life. To get that same sentence carrying powdered cocaine, you had to be holding up to 100 grams. That's a wow. fact. Yeah, and I wish I could remember the exact details. Now, that has since been corrected, um, but that just goes to show you. I mean, we've already talked a lot about uh, race and how that relates to the war on drugs. Um, but, I mean, that in and of itself really should that should really tell you everything you need to know. And so there you go, dear listener. Um, I think the film is fine, you know, for what it is, but it is an example of two wrong steps in the right direction. And, uh, you know, that's, that's uh, I think, a good way to kind of classify, you know, failed attempts at fixing a problem. So there you go, dear listener. Let's move on in the show to the time when which we uh, render a verdict and we tell whether we're going to allow this film to sit upon our shelves or whether it will reside permanently in the trash and then recommend our else's. Or insteads. I ask you first, Mr. Donaldster, what do you say? Show for trash, and then what's your else or your instead? Yeah, this is trash. Um, I can't recommend you buy this. It took some doing to find this movie, um, and I can see why. I mean, I, I don't think there's a lot of demand for it. I don't think there's a lot of copies of it in circulation. Um, I think it was probably important when it came out in 1991, um, but there are better films about the drug uh, about the drug trade and the drug war. I've already mentioned some of the things that that discuss the drug trade and the war on drugs better. Um, Steve Soderbergh's Traffic, uh, Brian De Palma's Scarface, um, The Immaculate, The Wire. I, I think these are all uh, shows and film a show and two films that do a much better job of of tackling uh, this trade. I mean, Scarface shows is a more interesting film about a young man rising up from being a small-time thug to being a multimillionaire on the drug trade. Traffic deals a lot with the societal implications of, um, you know, drug enforcement policy and drug addiction. Um, And The Wire deals with, you know, uh, showing you the police perspective uh, and the dealer perspective uh, of things. So I think those all do – and The Wire – you know, the, the, none of them are confused about their tone. I mean, Scarface is kind of a pulpy film. Um, it has some interesting things to say about greed and corruption. Um, 
but it, it is very focused in its tone. The Wire is very serious and very focused in realism. Uh, Traffic is very much an issues film, but, I mean, it is focused in what it's trying to say. And I think that's New Jack City's biggest flaw is it wants to have things both ways. It wants to be The Wire and Scarface. Um, so do like Wesley Snipes. Watch Scarface uh, before you watch New Jack City because I have to give it three iced tea hats out of a possible nine. Yeah, I wonder what Kangal Stock did Man. based on just uh, that film. Uh, I really liked Wesley Snipes' berets. Uh, he had a lot of good berets. Um, that the I think they call him Dada Man. Um, yeah. They got the stutter because he yeah, stutters, which is mean. Yeah, is mean. He's got a Kangle hat that I thought was his hair for a second. I know, I did that too. that fuzzy Kangle hat. Yes, I did too. And I'm like, man, that's ba- oh oh, that's a hat. That's that's his hat. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Ice T's got a Kangle cowboy hat on. Yes, he does. Oh man, there's some there's some hats in this movie. I'll tell you what, you can't say this about New Jack City. It's not lacking in hats. If you look for a lot of hats in your films, this is a movie for you. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? Shell for trash, else or instead? Well, I don't know. Like I feel like no, trash it. Sorry. I like I was trying to be generous. <laughs> I was like, what am I thinking? <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Like, cause I was just like, oh well, I guess if you watched it for the first sequence, which actually is a song that I didn't know, and then the last little monologue piece, but that's probably like seven minutes of movie, and there is an hour and forty minutes here. Um, yeah, no, don't see this. So you're saying it's an hour and 33 minutes too long? Yes. (laughs) Like, I mean, honestly, I wish we could tag this episode before you listen to it and say, well, at least in my book, don't watch this movie. Just listen to our episode because you'll get what this movie is about and save you some time. Um, and probably you'll have more fun. I'd hope. Um, God. Yeah. What was I thinking? Wow, I was trying to be generous, I suppose. I don't really know any other movies that would work. Instead, I honestly trust my co-host recommendations way more than mine because I haven't watched a lot of drug-centric cinema or black exploitation films or uh, cr- like hard crime movies. I guess you could watch Law and Order if you're feeling it. I don't know. Um, or or The Wire. I mean, I think The Wire is probably your best your best go. Um, I mean, you could always b- watch Breaking Bad if you want to see some drugs in a totally different context, but... You know you could watch? What? Passenger 57, starring Wesley Snipes. Always, always bet on black. black. Always. <laughs> the best... Um, oh, my God, so good. Let's see. How will I rate this film? I will give it five titties out of a possible 28, because... All the women in that, they're like, I found it so strange. There in are that, at least 28 pairs of Yeah, they're, they're in that scene and they have to sort the drugs and they're like, they have to be naked and otherwise, because, you know, they might sneak them. But they don't think about how they're still wearing, like, shorts. And that's where the sneaking would happen. You know what I mean? And I don't. <laughs> you you I, I, hear yeah, stories I, I, in I jail about things <laughs> like that. So I don't re- really understand their policy besides just, like, we like titties, yay! So, <laughs> well, thank you very much, Miss Alexander Bohannon. Uh, again, I think it's a perfectly fine movie. It's it's fun, but I I could not dare suggest you purchase it. Def- uh, there, there, I did. There, there, there's there's better films, Boys in the Hood, Juice. You know those sorts of era uh, films that are that are sort of those gang life. Uh, even uh, uh, was it. Uh, Omar Plummer in uh, South Central. Is that his name? Omar Plummer? What is his name? No, I don't know who you're Omar talking about, Epps. bud. His, his last name is Plummer. Maybe Omar Epps and somebody. Christopher Plummer. That's it. No, not Chris Plum. <laughs> what? No. <laughs> he got you. He got he, you. He, got he, me. he zinged you. You so got me. That's funny. That would be like the best I don't know what version. movie we're talking anyway. about. So. There, there, uh, there was a spate of these films, sort of the the the, the height of black exploitation. So all of those sort of you know orbital films around the same subject. I, really, I like all of them better, and uh, so I would I would recommend any one of them uh, to you as an instead if you want something from the period. If you're just into black exploitation, you can do no better than Shaft. So watch Shaft. I'm not with Sam Jackson. Not with Sam Jackson, uh, the original uh, Shaft. That's who I'm talking about. 
Can you dig it? And so absolutely check that out. If you want more Wesley Snipes fun, not Pastor 57, although I like that line very, very much, you should take a look at him as a drug lord, uh, kingpin also, frozen, and then thought out to fight Sylvester Stallone in a movie called Demolition Man. And uh, that's some good trash, y'all. I'm just saying. That's some real good trash, and that needs to happen at some point on the show. But uh, those are my recommends, dear listener. Your syllabus just got longer. But we would love to hear what you think about what we said, what we suggested, what we didn't say, uh, what we left out, what your suggestions may be. I'm surprised that none of us mentioned the only s- single black exploitation movie I saw before this, which is Black Dynamite. It's a totally different beast. Uh, yeah. It is. yeah. Well, it's a send-up of the black exploitation yeah. as well. As yeah. opposed to prop, black exploitation proper. I, Dustin, I, I don't want to quibble you too much. I, I'm not sure I would agree that you know films like um, Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood are quite black exploitation films. I, I get why you would say that. Well, they're, they're black exploitation in so much as this film is. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll give you that. I you guess. know, and like I said, it's like it's like on the quasi cusp. It's almost like the apotheosis before it transitions into mm-hmm. something else. I, they're really not the same thing as no. like Foxy Brown or you know, uh, Pusher. Or yeah. not, not Pusher. Um, oh shit! Uh, what is the name of that movie? I'm your pimp. I'm your, I'm your pusher man. Can't, I remember the song. Can't remember the name of the movie. Let's go, with Superfly. Super, son of a bitch! It's Superfly. Yes. Hey. Good, good ears, Dad. Good ears. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, it, it's not the same thing. It's absolutely not the same thing. It's not the same time. It's not the grindhouse sort of thing that's going on there. But I, I think they are, you know, quasi related. Black Dynamite, though, Alex, to your point, is a send up of the exploitation film. So it is to an extent a different thing. It's really, really funny. There's also some great Wayans Brothers films uh, at that time. Now, don't be a menace society while you're. I don't know, drinking your juice in the hood, or it's yeah, that's it. Uh, is that it? Like, uh, I don't know. Lots of words of mixing a lot of titles, and that's fun because it's got lots of shaft in it as well, and makes my heart happy. But now, let us discuss those social media means by which the conversation can be furthered. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you know about that? You can find us at facebook.com forward slash good trash genre cast if you want to keep uh, in touch with us on the book face. This is one of those miraculous times in which uh, the second episode is recorded bef- after the last episode before the last episode actually made it to the interwebs. So do we actually have any feedback at this point? No. Yeah. But um, I did want to mention something that is Facebook news, but um, not something we found from our Facebook. This is just friend of the show, Adam Hampton, uh, posted on his Facebook how his wife, Angelina, won Best Actress at the F- the Fly Film Festival for her performance in T- Sanford's uh, Tempest Fugit. Yay! Yeah, yeah. So, uh, listeners of the show know um, to you all. filmmaker Nick Sanford's uh, a friend of ours. Um, we did a live show where we, we screened his film and talked his film Tempest Fugit and talked about it. So that's wonderful. Good for them. Yeah, so I just wanted to mention that in a, in a fit of happy news. Um, apparently Nick Sanford is or was at a film festival in, in Enid, and um, that's, that's about all the kind of Facebook-type news we've got going on. Well, thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about social media? Yeah, we're on Twitter. That's it. I don't know. Uh... I mean, there's there's some monologues in this film. I don't I don't feel like turning into Twitter things this week. Uh, you can find the Good Trash Genre Cast uh, on Twitter at Good underscore Trash. Uh, ditto. We haven't posted uh, last week's episode over Jack Reacher yet, as you're hearing this. So no new feedback, um, retweets, and favorites of of things. Um, you know, but uh, no, nothing really in the way of uh, interesting feedback happening right now. So there you go. Of course, we love comments on the iTunes channel, also Stitcher Internet Radio, and of course the Podbean site itself, goodtrashhonorcast.podbean.com, excuse me. And uh, we'd love to uh, see your comments there and have the opportunity to read them on the air. Of course, you can send us an email as well at goodtrashhonorcast at gmail.com. All right, let's move on, though. I think, guys, as I look upon my watch, I realize it's time to play the game. This week's game, dear listener, is uh, our favorite original songs that were produced for film. Uh, That's right. Favorite original songs produced for films brought to you by New Jack City. New Jack City. 
It has a song in it called New Jack City. Word. There you go. Uh, so, so yeah, our, uh, our favorite original songs from, from motion pictures. So, uh, without any further ado, Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what's your pick? Or picks? I just have one. And in, in my opinion, it's enough. I don't necessarily like this song. But no one can deny the cultural implications and effects this song has had on your entire waking consciousness. Da, 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 da. Yeah, so it's My Heart Will Go On from the movie, the masterpiece known as Titanic. That's a good movie, man. And that is a Celine Dion song. song Hold my hand, Arthur. That um, became a cultural phenomenon, a part of every um, plastic keyboard MIDI sound type things that you will learn my heart will go on and uh yeah it's it's everywhere that's a fine selection thank you very much miss alexander bohan and mr dalton stewart what are your picks uh so we got two picks for you um the first is i'm gonna say a classic um from one of the most delightful films ever made uh it's back to the future the song the power of love by huey lewis in the news um this song is so good. it's it is so 80s good. tastic but when sports came out it's my favorite <laughs> uh it is it, it definitely harkens back we don't really have this anymore it's like now your favorite pop stars new hit track just recorded for this movie that has nothing to do with the film at all the power of love has jack shit all to do with uh, Back to the Future, uh, except for Marty McFly is in love with his girlfriend, and his mom's in love with him, I think. I don't know. At times. Uh, but it's a catchy tune, and it opens up uh, a fun sequence of Michael J. Fox skateboarding. Uh, my second pick um, makes way more sense, uh, um, uh, and that is the Eminem song, Lose Yourself, which he uh, wrote and recorded for the film 8 Mile, which uh, is yeah. not a biopic, but might as well be. Correct. Um, Good film. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember liking it the last time I saw it. And a great song. Uh, it's a good song. I don't it's know a, I didn't see the movie at all. It's a good track. It really is. Um, and there's a reason it won, I mean, best original song at the Academy Awards. Um, despite it being a hip hop song and the Academy being notoriously um, aged and pasty. Um, but, you know, it was a white guy's hip hop song, so that might have had something to do with it. Although Three Six Mafia won for It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp not long after that from Hustle and Flow, which is also a movie uh, I've never seen, but man, it's a good song. It's a good song. It is. It is, Arthur. You would know. Uh, so those are my picks for uh, best original songs for from a film. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your picks? Uh, just a producer's edit, I'm going to give a shout-out to a song that was robbed of an Oscar uh, due to stupid rules, and that is Come What May uh, from Moulin Rouge, uh, Boslerman wrote, uh, which was actually written for Romeo and Juliet uh, a few years earlier and was such uh, since disqualified from competition in the year of Moulin Rouge. But Come What May is a uh, beautiful song. I really like it, and so I'm just going to give that a shout-out. Thank you very much for that interruption, Mr. Arthur Gordon. We appreciate it at any time, sir. Uh, my selections would be, first of all, I have to say that I must pick all of the James Bond films. Just all of them. Yeah. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, just not I don't know. It. There's a couple of duds in there. I'm sure there are. Madonna's one from uh, Die Another Day is not very good. Yeah, I mean, even uh, Tina Turner doing Goldeneye. I mean, just that one's pretty good. I mean, you know, I, that one's pretty it's good. Really good. I mean, this that one's okay. I thought I was trying to defend it. I thought you were saying, yeah, the ones that are awesome are amazing. Um, no, Live I'm, and Let Die. Live and Let Die is great. Yeah, Live and Let Die is amazing. Uh, yeah. Skyfall, the most Skyfall. recent one, fucking great. Yeah. Quantum of Solace, very difficult title to turn into a song. <laughs> that's why that's not the title of the song. Um, but it's a good song because Alicia Keys and Jack White, I mean, come on. Did you guys ever see that Quantum of Solace, like, fake, like, someone made a fake song for Quantum of Solace? No. And it was basically just like, the Quantum of Solace, I don't know what that means. The Quantum <laughs> of Solace. And it just, like, goes on for, like, three minutes about commenting on what is the Quantum of Solace. Anyway, 
That's funny. But I, I like that tradition with the James Bond films. And, I mean, you know, just I, so I have to at least, like, give an honorable mention to, like, all the, all the songs uh, for that. Also, I have to mention Everything is Awesome for the Lego movie. I mean, it's just... It's the Lego movie. Everything is awesome. It's catchy. It's fun. It's it, it it's it's insightful and um, it is uh, incisive, which is and a awesome, great combination. And so I really, really, really like that a lot, dear listener. We would love to hear your picks as well. We'd love to know what you think are the best original songs written for films. And uh, if you say Eric Clapton's "Change the World" for Phenomenon, though, you may be dead to us all. So there you go. And now you know, but I think now we come to the time at the end of the show where we talk about what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. So I'm excited, excited, excited to hear just how fired up you all are in pop culture this week. I ask you first, Dalton Stewart, are you fired up? I am. Uh, I got a chance to go see uh, the film The Stanford Prison Experiment at the Oklahoma Museum of Art, uh, which is about the Stanford Prison Experiment, as you would expect. Um, <laughs> Name on the tin. Uh, it's exactly. Um, it's got Billy Crudup, Ezra Miller. Um, oh, God, what's that kid's... Basically, if there's a young actor you like... Um, he's in this movie. Uh, young Neil from Scott Pilgrim, a.k.a. Uh, What's Your Doodle's Boyfriend from um, Jennifer's Body. I love Young Neil. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, I can't even remember all the names. Um, it's that difficult for me. That kid from Sky High. Yeah. There are so many people in this movie, and they all turn in amazing performances. Uh, the film itself, I really enjoyed. Uh, there's some people uh, whose opinion seems to be well, you didn't really do anything with it. You just kind of showed us what happened. And honestly, I think that in and of itself can be pretty valuable. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's very well made, very well acted. I'm glad I got around to seeing it. Uh, also checked out a... Uh, I've been watching a lot of movies last week or so. Uh, finally caught up with uh, Calvary, Dustin's favorite film from last year, um, starring Brendan Gleeson, uh, directed by John Mi- written and directed by John Michael McDonough, brother to Martin McDonough, who uh, we're big fans of here on the show with his film In Bruges, which we discussed last year. Um, really powerful stuff. Um, I'm not going to talk about it a lot. If you want to hear somebody say some smart things about it, you can go back and listen to our year-end wrap-up. Uh, where Dustin talks about it and his love for it. I really like it a lot. Yeah, he does. And at the beginning of this year, we did our you know top films of 2014, and Dustin kind of talked about it at length. So uh, go do that. Um, if you don't want to go do that, just take my word for it. It's sweet, and you should check it out. Finally, I uh, caught up with a film also from last year called Start Up, starring uh, Jack O'N... Oh, gosh, what's his name? Uh, he, he's, he's a coming-up kid. He's been in a couple of things lately. Um... Jack O'Connell. I always forget his name. Uh, Jack O'Connell was in Angelina Jolie's Unbroken, but this uh, was kind of the start of his breaking out. Um, Startup is about a juvenile offender um, who's too violent for juvenile facilities, uh, so they um, move him into an adult prison, which uh, in the British prison system is called being starred up. Um, In that prison is uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who is his dad. Um, And it's it's a prison drama about a, a violent and emotionally damaged young man. Uh, and the whole central question is, can he get better? Uh, it's a really powerful movie. I, I enjoyed it a lot. So that's what I've, I'm fired up about this week. Just been watching a lot, of, a lot of films. Lots of films. Two of them involve prisons of some sort. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's it for me, Dustin. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, are you fired up as well? Um, mildly fired, yeah. So, uh Yesterday, Heath and I went to um, Tinseltown and we watched the uh, live stream on the big screen of uh, TI Five Finals. Um, it it was really cool. Like they uh, they had it broadcast across theaters. I'm sorry, what? Like we watched the no, internet. No, 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 no. The the what finals? The international five finals. I don't know what that means. The Dota championships I talked about okay. last week. No, no. I, I sorry, I sorry. Um, I forget. <laughs> anyway, not, so not everybody knows what that means. I know, nerd. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so it was super fun. We it was cool seeing it on the big screen, um, and we had a lot of fun watching that. And uh, the American team won this year. Super excited. It's the actually the first American team to win. Um, TI, so that's pretty incredible. Very excited for that. Um, and then I also caught a documentary on Friday 
that you must you must watch. I, I it is called Ferrets: The Pursuit of Excellence. Oh, must I? Yes. Well, no. It, it's up to you because someone made a documentary about people that own ferrets and not just own ferrets as pets, but breed them and show them. And it is most the most so weirdos. Yes, somebody made a documentary about weirdos. Yes, someone Is made. Is what everyone makes documentaries about anymore? Yeah, that's fair. Someone made the most unintentionally hilarious documentary you will ever see, because it, it's a hundred. It's only a hundred minutes long. It's not uh, quite like perfectly feature length or anything, and it was just follows these like five or six different ferret owners talking about their lives as ferret owners. And like, they say these very strange, strange things and how they progress to this ferret. It's called like the Buckeye bash, which is like the, the U the U S is like Shut ferret up. show. Shut <laughs> your mouth. Buckeye bash with ferrets. Eh? Yeah. Okay. I got you. So, um, my mom and I, we've kind of had like some rough times lately. So we got together with our girlfriends and we were like, we should watch a rom I was like, oh, we should watch a rom-com. That'd be super fun. And th- then my friend Marcy pulls out this DVD and she's like, how about we watch this documentary about ferrets instead? <laughs> we're all drinking margaritas and the sky and opens up and God says, I hate you, Alfalfa. Yeah. Oh and my so goodness. So we, uh, we died quite a bit. But uh, besides that, that's a, that's about all here. That's outstanding. Thank you very much, yep. Mr. Alexander <laughs> Bohannon. Uh, Mr. Arthur Gordon, are you fired up this week? Quick producer's note. I just want to urge everybody uh, to go out and see The Gift, uh, written and directed by Joel Edgerton. How is that? It is phenomenal. Really? I it's wanted to see It's probably my biggest surprise of the year. It looked very silly, but in a good it way. It does, but it is it is one of the best movies I've seen this year. Really? And it is a powerful suburban drama before it's a thriller. Okay. I've got a question, Arthur, that I've, based on the trailers, I've got a pretty good idea what happened. Just blink. Nobody else can see Arthur. Listen, I'm not spoiling this for you. Once for yes, twice for no. Is the surprise, is the thing that Joel Edgerton's so upset about, did, did Jason Bateman rape him? Okay. All right. Close, but that's not it. I feel like I'm in the right. I kind of, okay. Uh, that was my wild goose. That is hunt, hinted at yes. in the movie. Okay. All right. Okay. It is. I was so shocked. I didn't know what to expect going in. I saw it had really good reviews, though. And I, the tra- they showed a trailer for it in front of uh, It Follows, yes, and I did. laughed my ass off. Yeah. There are a lot of comic beats in it, though. I kind of. I seemed like it was intentionally comic. Yeah. yeah. I didn't think they were. It was an accident. Which you got Bateman, so I think you have to use his comedy there. Yeah. But uh, the the story between the husband and wife is just, I think, brilliant, and it, it is just a powerful drama before it's a thriller, really. And so I just urge you to go see that if you get a chance. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll put that on my watch list. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What I was saying, my fired up, and this is I saw a film from 1911 called Dante's Inferno. And uh, it is the oldest existing feature-length film. And it was fun. And it's on YouTube and for free. Oh, I love free. So go find that and go watch it because it's the oldest feature-length film we have. Is it? Is it like... Uh I guess I'm I'm just trying to understand get like your perspective as a film scholar and someone who knows a lot about film like what does what is super notable about I mean besides the obvious you know accolade Oh yeah I mean, they do some interesting stuff with special effects you know nothing that Melies wasn't doing you know around the same time so there's nothing really groundbreaking other than the length and sort of the scope of story that they're trying to take care of and uh, so it's a big deal I mean there were feature length films before this we just don't have them Right, they're they're lost. Now most of silent film is lost, and uh, so which is unfortunate. So does it? If it's a silent film, does it have like the in between the in betweener cards for yes. the text? Okay. Yeah, the intertitles. I, yeah, I think a lot of our listeners not, might not realize just how much a film history doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, it's uh, very sad. It's, it's pretty wild, uh, and that's why I, I, there's a lot of people who do a lot of work in film preservation. I think that's important stuff um, because. Despite my insisting otherwise sometimes, that there were, in fact, films before 1960. Yes, there were. Now, to move on and take off my nerd hat, um, I also got a chance to see Ant-Man. And it's big, dumb fun, and I'm glad I watched it. And uh, Thomas the Tank Engine is thrown as a weapon. What more do you want? <laughs> what more could you possibly want? And I think it's in the trailer, so I don't think I'm giving anything away, really. Um, both a small one 
and a bigified one. So good times are had by all. You and it's it's really funny. I mean, it's really well written. Edgar Wright's fingerprints on the script are all over it. And uh, it's just, it's super good. So you should check it out. And that's what I'm fired up about this week in pop culture. Next in our series of uh, You Don't Know Jack films is a host pick. And that host pick falls upon our producer today, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Go ahead, Arthur. Tell us your rationale and lead us into that moment where you finally reveal your pick. Well, we're going to delineate a little from the script next, uh, next week because uh, the title doesn't have Jack in it. But there's a main character named Jack. And so we're going to delineate just a hair uh, from that uh, that rationale, mainly because there aren't a whole lot of movies that are readily available with the name Jack in the title. Less than we suspected. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much. We um, started this marathon with Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit, and Jack Reacher, and then decided we shouldn't do both of them. Yeah, because they're essentially the same thing. Correct. So, uh, so next week, I've, I've, we're going to do something that we don't do often. We're going to do a period piece. Ooh. I'm stoked. But we're also going to do a ghost story and an adventure film. Ladies and gentlemen, next week we're going to set sail on an adventure bigger than the seven seas themselves. Yes! Because next week we're going to go one-on-one with Captain Jack Sparrow. Oh, my gosh. As we battle the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Curse of the Black Pearl. The hype is so real over here. You don't know what this is, do you? Aztec gold. The heathen gods placed upon the gold a terrible curse. Ten years we've searched. Every last piece we have found. Save for this. Hello, Bobby. They've taken Elizabeth. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. We must save her. Where do we start? Jack Sparrow. He talked about the Black Pearl. Make a deal with him. He can lead us to it. You forget your place. You are a blacksmith. If you spring me from this sill, I shall take you to the Black Pearl and your bonny lass. You're a pirate. Forgot one very important thing, mate. I'm Captain Jack Sparrow. Not sure I deserve that. You're not facing normal pirates. Cruel, demented, vicious pirates, to be certain. Say goodbye. Goodbye. Pass cruel, demented, vicious pirates who cannot be killed. The moonlight shows us for what we really are. That's interesting. We are cursed, man. I hardly believe in ghost stories anymore. You better start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one. Chance you all remember Captain Jack Sparrow. Dear listener, we're going to be taking a look at Pirates of the Caribbean, the first of nine, or 19, I forget which, and uh, we'll be having a discussion surrounding it. Uh, Take a look at that. Take a look at New Jack City. Have a conversation with somebody you care about about these films, because that's really what makes watching the films really, truly, and utterly worthwhile. And until then, dear listener, we'll see you next time.